we turn together in God's precious word to Hebrews and the chapter 1. Hebrews and the chapter 1. And I would like to read uh, this first chapter together. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to commence at the first verse. And let us hear God's word together. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time passed on to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old, as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed." But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of this chapter to each of our hearts. I want to draw your attention to words that are found uh, in the third verse and also in the verse 13. But verse 3 it says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty 
on high. Then also that 13th verse, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And tonight I want to simply draw to your attention the position of Christ. The position of Christ. And in the verse 3 and the verse 13, we are told the position of Christ. That he is seated at the right hand of God. The Savior is described as being at God's right hand. And of course, the reference to the right hand has significance. Even in our own culture, the right hand is symbolical of different things. If we're going to greet an individual, we will extend to them the right hand. And that's an indication of greeting. It's an indication of friendship. And it can even be referred to as the right hand of fellowship. We would also be familiar with the saying about an individual, they're my right hand man. And we know what that saying is really referring to when it refers to a right hand man. It's one who can be trusted, one who is dependable, one who is loyal, a right hand man. And when you come to the Word of God, the Bible refers to the right hand, and those references have great significance. Because in the Bible, the right hand indicates and represents certain things. Most especially when it refers to the right hand of God. The Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross. And on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And the Lord Jesus Christ would ascend into heaven. And as he entered into heaven, it tells us that he sat down. And he sat down on the right hand of God. And that sitting down was an indication that a work was finished. And the work was complete. Whenever you look at Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse 3, and you come towards the latter part of that verse, and you see there the word when... And there's an indication there to a certain time. And it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. And that was the great work of redemption that the Savior accomplished upon the cross. The work that he came into this world to accomplish. And when he, and it says by himself, no other, the Lord Jesus Christ alone He accomplished that great work. And when he had by himself purged our sins, and through the shedding of his precious blood, he paid the price for our redemption. And when he had that work completed, when he had by himself purged our sins, the verse tells us he sat down. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Therefore, that sitting down was an indication that the work was finished. 
The work of redemption was complete. And when Christ entered into glory, he sat down. Of course, we know in another sense that the work of Christ as he's seated at the right hand of the Father, there is a work that continues, and that is the great work of intercession. And there at the right hand of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. Numerous occasions, the right hand of God is mentioned in the Bible. And on many of those occasions, the Savior is positioned there. If you were to just look with me, for example, in the Gospel of Mark and the chapter 16, the final chapter of Mark's Gospel, and it's speaking there about the risen Lord. And the Lord speaking his final words to the disciples before he would ascend into heaven. And in Mark chapter 16 and the verse 19, it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. The gospel of Mark would indicate to us that position of the Savior, that when he was received into heaven, he sat on the right hand of God. The book of the Acts and the chapter 2, and again, that detail is given to us there. In Acts chapter 2, you have uh, the day of Pentecost and the preaching of the apostle Peter. And in Acts chapter 2 and the verse 33, he says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear, being by the right hand of God exalted. That's what Peter said of Christ. That's the position of the Savior. In Acts chapter 7, when it came to the martyrdom of Stephen, and we know that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And it tells us there in chapter 7 of Acts and the verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And then whenever you look at those following verses and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And there, twice over, we're told of the Savior's position at the right hand of God. Albeit there it says he's standing. Normally it refers to the Savior who is seated at the right hand of God. When it comes to the martyrdom of Stephen, the Savior is standing at the right hand. Commentators have suggested that perhaps what was taking place on earth and what Stephen was going through facing his persecutors and the stones and the boulders that were going to rain down upon him and that he would be stoned to death, that the Savior rose up he rose up out of concern. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. 
And the Savior rises up, it is said, to receive Stephen into glory. They say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But the position of the Savior is at the right hand. And that's mentioned there in Acts 7 and verses 55 and 56. You glance over to Paul's letter to the Romans. And there it would be Romans chapter 8. I'm just giving to you some of these references, some of these occasions where the position of the Savior is indicated. Romans 8 and verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who is even at the right hand of God. And there are many other references that we could refer you to this evening, but sufficient with those references to see the position of Christ. And what is the significance? Why is it repeated so many times that the Savior is seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, just for a moment or two, I want to suggest some things to you about that position, the position of Christ. And we say, firstly, it is a position of privilege. To be at the right hand, that's a position of privilege. And in relation to heaven, and in relation to it being the right hand of the Father, we would have to say that's the highest position of honor that heaven could give. And the highest place that heaven affords is his by sovereign right. And there's the Lord Jesus Christ in that privileged position because heaven wants to bestow upon him all the honor. And he's given that highest privileged place in heaven. That honor belongs to him. All through Hebrews, the apostle would be wanting to bring out to us the superiority of Christ. Would be wanting to honor the Savior. And on many occasions he does it by using the word better. Better. I counted 13 times through Hebrews that that word better occurs. You were to look here in our Bible reading, Hebrews 1 and the verse 4, you would have the first of them. It says of the Savior being made so much better than the angels. Christ is superior. Christ is better than the angels. Christ is to receive that honor. And as you read through with me Hebrews chapter 1, you would see that comparison being made between Christ and the angels to show how much better the Lord Jesus Christ is. You go through Hebrews, you would find it speaks about a better hope and a better testament and a better covenant and a better priesthood, and a better sacrifice. And all the while, the writer to the Hebrews is wanting to give the Savior that place of honor. 
And he's showing here in Hebrews 1 and the verse 3 that he has the highest place of honor that heaven can afford. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. There are a couple of examples that I looked at this afternoon about the right hand. And they bring out to us the fact that it's a privileged position. In 1 Kings chapter 2, and there in the context of that chapter, it involves King Solomon and his mother. His mother, of course, was Bathsheba. And in 1 Kings chapter 2 and the verse 19, Bathsheba approaches her son, who is King Solomon. In 1 Kings 2 and the verse 19, it says, Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. It's a touching scene. Solomon sees his mother approaching. And as his mother approaches, he he rises up to meet her and he bows himself to her and he commands that a chair be brought and that his own mother be given that honored position to sit at his right hand. You can see something of the significance of this position. She's there at his right hand. The book of Genesis in the chapter 48, there's another example there of the right hand and that being the privileged position. And in Genesis chapter 48, it concerns their Jacob and Jacob is to bless the lads. And Joseph brings his lads in order that his father would give them the blessing. And he brings Manasseh and he brings Ephraim. And Joseph places Manasseh there at the right hand of Jacob. And whenever Jacob comes to actually place his hands upon the heads of those lads to give them the blessing, while Joseph had brought Manasseh to Jacob's right hand, Jacob crossed over his hands. Jacob put his right hand upon Ephraim's head. And it says in Genesis 48 and the verse 14, And Israel, that's Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And so Jacob there puts his right hand upon the head of Ephraim. And the right hand is an indication of the greater blessing and the greater favor and the greater honor that would be bestowed. Therefore, you can see symbolically the significance of the right hand. And whenever we read in our text of Scripture, that the Lord Jesus Christ is there 
on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's a privileged position. But I want you to think, secondly, of that position. It's not only a privileged position, but it's a powerful position. It's a powerful position. In Hebrews 1, in that third verse, it says, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And really what it is, is the Savior is being enthroned in heaven. And that's why I commenced our service tonight with the singing of that hymn, Enthroned is Jesus now. May the head that once was crowned with thorns, it's crowned with glory now. The royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Savior occupies that position of power. And we know that all power, all power was given unto the Savior in heaven and on earth. He was invested with that power. And in heaven, that's endorsed the powerful position that the Savior has. He occupies that position of power. Ephesians chapter 1, let me read to you the verses 20 and 21. And it says, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ has been set. It's far above all, far above all. The Lord Jesus Christ has such authority and such power. Whenever you think of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt and how uh, the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. It's actually attributed to the right hand of God and to the power of God's right hand. In Exodus chapter 15 and the verse 6, and here they're giving praise, they're singing praise on to the Lord for what the Lord has done in delivering Israel out of Egypt. And they're praising God for the victory and for the triumph. And Moses writes, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. It's the right hand. The right hand that indicates power and it's the almighty power of the Lord and you could go down Exodus chapter 15 and you could see all that is attributed there to the right hand of God but verse 12 just for the sake of time Moses said of the Lord thou stretchest out thy right hand the earth swallowed them relation there to the Egyptians being swallowed up. 
Moses says the Lord stretched out his right hand. We, we would have thought, was it not Moses? Did Moses not stretch out his hand with the rod in his hand? Of course he did. But Moses said it wasn't him. It was the Lord's right hand. In other words, it was the Lord's power. It wasn't the power of Moses. Psalm 20 and the verse 6 speaks of the saving strength of God's right hand. The saving strength of God's right hand. And therefore, when we read in the Bible that the Savior is positioned at God's right hand, it's a privileged position and it's a powerful position. But then I want you to see, thirdly, it's a position of purity. Purity. In the Old Testament scriptures, there's a well-known verse that we would all, we all quote from time to time, and we would certainly want to claim it. It speaks about the Lord protecting and preserving his people, and what a blessing and what a comfort that verse of scripture has been to generations of God's people. Isaiah 41 and the verse 10, Fear thou not. For I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. In the end of that verse, the Lord said, Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God preserving and protecting his people. The reference is made to the Lord upholding us. And as the Lord upholds his people, he says, I will uphold thee with the right hand. The Lord upholds us with that powerful right hand. And then the detail is added at the end of the verse, the right hand of my righteousness. Righteousness. The purity of God's right hand, it's a righteous hand. Righteousness is an attribute of the Lord. He is perfectly righteous. And the righteousness of the Lord is closely aligned and linked with the justice of God. And sometimes we might wonder at the actions of God and the ways of God, and we know that they're much higher than, than our ways. But there's times when we don't understand and there's times when we, we may doubt and we may question. But God's ways are right. God is a God of righteousness. And all God's actions and all God's dealings are just and righteous. Those things go together. The Lord never acts contrary to his character. And as the character and nature of God is that he's a God of righteousness, therefore in every way that the Lord deals with us as his people, he does it justly and he does it in righteousness. And here it's the right hand of his righteousness. And he's upholding us with that right hand. That hand that lifted us up out of the horrible pit. And that hand that leads us and guides us on our pilgrimage here below, that's the hand that upholds us. The right hand 
of my righteousness, and it's a pure right hand. Therefore, the Savior positioned at the right hand of God, we think of it as the position of purity. But then, lastly, this evening, I want you to think about that right hand as a position of prayer. And that's how we perhaps most often think of it. That when the Lord Jesus Christ is seated there at the right hand of the Father on high, we think of the Lord being there to pray for us. And if you followed as we read earlier from the epistle to the Romans and the chapter 8 and that 34th verse, where it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That's why he's there. He's at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. That's where we said, in that sense, the work of Christ continues in the glory. In Hebrews chapter 7 and the verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Where is the Savior right now? The Savior right now is in the glory. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And what is the Savior doing right now? He's praying for us. And he is making intercession for us. And he's the one who becomes there our great high priest. The one who receives our prayers and takes our prayers. And he perfects those prayers and he he presents them before the Father just as his own prayers. And what a blessing and encouragement it is to know that the Savior is there praying for us. The psalmist said, Psalm 16, verse 11, I believe it is from memory, in thy presence there is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore pleasures forevermore the position of christ this evening he's at the right hand of the father on high may that be a blessing and encouragement to our hearts as we come to seek the lord's face in prayer this evening we're going to sing a few verses of another hymn it's the hymn 130